what I think I came to realize was when, when we as Christians try and find new ways of expressing our faith in a changing culture, we not only have to find an expression of uh, Christian faith that is helping to communicate the gospel through preaching to people who aren't Christians, but also we have to explain that to the Christian community at the same time. And I think when I was younger, I didn't really understand that. I was more rushing ahead doing new things. But I think as I got older, I spent more time trying to explain these new things and give a language around it to other people in the church who hadn't experienced that before. You're listening to The Shock Absorber, a podcast brought to you by Soul Revival Church on how Christians can adapt to a culture that's constantly changing. Here we are again, the Shock Absorber podcast, episode five. Stu, how are you? G'day, Joel. Good. It's, you? Uh, yeah, I'm excellent. And uh, thank you to everyone that's been listening to the podcast and also giving us some excellent feedback. It's been really encouraging, really exciting that people are finding value in what we're actually doing. So let's get started with the first book, movie or show that has impacted you. And it's Stu, it's your turn. What have you got for us today? Yeah, well, I thought this week I might talk for a bit about 1917 because it's a uh, movie I've just seen, just yes. come out. Have, have you seen it I yet? Haven't, I haven't seen it, unfortunately, but I've seen some quite excellent YouTube clips of it. Yeah, I could thoroughly recommend it. It's pretty brutal and confronting, but the right. themes it deals with I found really encouraging. And um, it's really interesting because it's sort of set at a micro level within this really grand story. Of course, the the story of the Great War is, is such a, a, a massive story, but the uh, movie quite cleverly just zooms in on two characters and what happens to them in a short space of time amongst that big story. And um, It's called a one-shot movie, basically, isn't it? It's just like... It's, it looked like that. Yeah, yeah, it's covering them from the beginning to the to the end of what they did yeah, for their it, mission. It just felt like one big scene, wow. actually. That's, yeah. that's pretty cool. It was very cool. Yeah. And it was really well shot and acted. And it was also really interesting to see uh, these two young blokes with a dilemma. One of the guys had his brother who was in really bad danger and he, he was asked to take a message to his brother's battalion to stop them um, going into an engagement that would be really, really uh, bad. And um, he volunteers, but then he gets his mate to come along and then through the movie they're just both struggling with this idea of sacrifice and this idea of putting themselves in danger for the sake of someone else. And it's a really beautiful redemption movie and it's got some really hard parts to it. But um, again, it's really interesting to see teamwork, what happens when people work together and they've both got a common goal. And I also think... Uh, we've been talking a bit on the podcast about commitment and just seeing their commitment to um, other people um, was quite quite encouraging. So it's it's a really good movie if you get a chance to see it. I'm really looking forward to it because I've you know got a little bit of uh, interest in in modern history as I, it was yeah. one of my favourite topics at um, at school. But it, it it's also the whole effect the way it affected the rest of the 20th century it was it was massive wasn't yeah, it it was because wasn't it yeah, huge implications and then the whole yeah. thing of trench warfare and how that all changed because the use of guns and modern artillery and all that yeah, kind of thing too yeah yeah well they dealt with those issues of just like the mechanization of war and the yeah. industrialization of war and the mass yeah mass killing it was a, it was really shocking and confronting yeah awful conditions too just oh. trench foot and getting oh, all that kind of terrible. stuff like it's yeah just, terrible yeah we don't, sometimes i don't know if we really know how much people sacrifice for us in those mm. times so that's it it's, it's yeah. an awesome way to actually reflect back on it yeah fully so let's recap last week so you realized there was a generation gap and was widening in the church and you and some of the leaders at soul revival you really wanted to come up with a corporate response to that so yep. you're inspired by um, a movie the commitments and a few cultural commentators and also 
I think the point you pointed out a command from Jesus to love one another as friends. So he came up with the idea of the commitments, which is a group of regular committed Christians who had set the culture for soul revival. And so they met for an hour before the larger group met on a Saturday night. And you said it created a space for the shock absorber to happen on a weekly basis. Mm. And at the time you said you came up with a line where it was said, it's more than a Saturday night, it's a lifestyle. And you said that this eventually led to um, a lot of new Christians joining Soul Revival and you almost grew to 500 people, which yeah, is quite quite it was, insane. It was, <laughs> quite yeah, starting with four people, yeah. yeah. But then let's ask the, uh, the question we've been asking almost every week. What did, did you do next? What happened next? Mm. Well, I think you quite accurately... Uh, summarize where we'd come to by then and um as you mentioned jesus's uh, command to love one another was really front and center of our thinking uh, matthew twenty two thirty seven to 40 he says love god with all your heart and love uh your neighbor as yourself and as he unpacks that for his disciples he talks about the fact that that your neighbor is everybody so we were uh, quite confronted with that because we were used to relating to sameness in our culture and just being friends with people who were like ourselves but um we're also convicted by the fact that Jesus said, um, I no longer call you servants, I call you my friends. If you do what I uh, am telling you to do, which is to love others as I have loved you. So we basically were uh, setting out on a journey to learn from Jesus and to continue to seek to learn from him um, what it looks like to love like that. And obviously his greatest act of love was dying for us on the cross and rising to new life. Uh, giving us reconciliation with God and each other. He'd done everything that was needed to build reconciled relationships between us and God and between us and each other if we put our faith in Jesus and his work on the cross. And so uh, I suppose our challenge was to work out in our uh, generation, Generation X, uh, in the 90s, what did it look like to live as Christians and express that reconciliation with God and one another in that decade? So um, as we were... Uh, seeking to work that out two words came front and center in our mind and that was mission and discipleship that it was really important that we continue to grow as disciples of christ and to be on mission to share the truth and love of jesus with other people and so that was why we had things like the jesus beads and we had things like the uh, chip lunches and we also uh, did scripture and we're really excited about that and also why we uh, met as a community once a week on a saturday night as probably a big group of friends in the early days but we we're really encouraged that we had new reconciled relationships with one another for because of what jesus has done and he he uh, given us this spiritual family at our local church and so we were part of a spiritual family and um it feels yeah, like he, really he you said i remember last last episode that he has already given us the community it's just how we decide to really express it yeah so that's it i mean he's he's building the community and we we are called to partner with him as he uh, is about his work and so I, I mentioned a few of the books that we were thinking through in those days um, we'd come across Oldenburg's um, theory of third place and so we were seeking to think through what would it look like if uh, we're seeking to be a community of Christians that are on mission together and we're discipling one another and taking into account that Oldenburg says that in cities people live in a different place to where they work and then to where they gather for community so we thought what if we were a third place as a christian community that was distinctively christian and so that we made uh, the fact that we were gathering together around the word of god to mature in christ uh, together using the bible how do we actually then express relationships that come from the teachings of the bible so it was um really interesting that 
at the time people were saying that well my memory anyway was that people were saying that mission and discipleship were two separate things and they were happening in two separate spaces so the idea i think was to go to church or to your community group or even your youth group for discipleship and then go out into the world on mission so a lot of people that were my age my contemporaries would go to church on sunday night and go to the pub on saturday night to go and meet with people who don't usually go to church um to go on mission now my observation of that while you know it was um you know fine to go on mission uh, to different places like that i did notice that there was a lot of evangelism going the other way that a lot of people were being evangelized into the world through going to pubs and clubs and what was really interesting was that the logic was that we wouldn't grow through mission at Soul Revival if we just spent so much time with each other on Saturday night. But the opposite seemed to happen, that we seemed to be a place of discipleship and mission. And there, there seemed to be a logic back in the day that you can't really do community when you come to church. But when we came to church on Sunday, we'd meet for the formal time on Sunday night and then there would be a whole heap of community expression that would... Uh, allow for really good discipleship to happen after church as well and i think what was going on was that christians were growing in their knowledge of god they were making uh, people making commitments to becoming christians and that was really exciting for people to see and as a result christians were excited to go to church again and as they were excited to go to church i think they were um, their their mission and their invitation was stronger as well so that seemed to be some things that were happening and at that time, you 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 said you were growing to almost five hundred people, yep. And a lot of them were non Christians, including myself. Like I was yeah, a non Christian yeah, coming yeah, to that. Yeah. Like how how is that changing the dynamic that you you said that some people from church are actually keen to go back to church because there was all these new people and yeah, you were yeah. kind of like doing something for Jesus. How's that playing out for you guys as leaders? Yeah, well, I I think that we were really trying to work out how how we as a a group of Christians are the church, so the Christians are the church, and we're, we're the the members of the church. And then, how could we, as the members of the church, be engaging with people who aren't Christians and preaching the gospel as we gather together and invite them to come along and listen, and then actually uh, make a commitment to Jesus if uh, if they did? And so, what what um, I found helpful again with the third place theory was that Oldenburg talks about regulars and irregulars. And I thought to myself, oh, that's, that sort of makes sense. He says that, um, and I think we covered this before in an earlier podcast, but basically Oldenburg says that um, for a, a third place to work well, it needs to have those people who are regular, who are the committed members of the group, who have the culture of the group, and that they're actually quite happy to share that with irregular people who come along as well. So newcomers coming to Soul Revival, the numbers of newcomers that were invited and people who were interested in checking it out spiked quite dramatically. But... The fact that we had the commitments was helpful because the commitments was a way for our Christians in the 90s to go, well, I can look around and see a committed core of Christians who are observably Christian helping to set the culture and they're fairly regular. Obviously, people can opt in and opt out of that at any time they want to. But if you have a group of committed Christians who are setting the culture of the group and then uh, people who uh, don't have faith come along, they're sort of actually enjoying the third place that the Christians help form. So having youth leaders and actually having the committed Christian members of the group working together as a team, if you like, was really helpful to set a Christian culture that, that became something that people were really intrigued about and really enjoyed. So you decided to create this uh, very strong Christian culture with the commitments. What was the effect on the younger Christians that were coming through at the time? Yeah, so expressing that Christian culture with ex- excitement and, and confidence and having people who were hearing the gospel at school 
and committing their lives to Jesus, praying and becoming Christians and then coming along. The, the Christian young people had only ever grown up in the church and had never seen any non-Christians come to the youth group before were just really excited seeing all these people. And not only that, they were seeing a lot of young people who they didn't think would ever come along to church. So um, back in the 90s, um, there were at, say, Kirawi High School, there were kids that considered themselves to be... Um, more studious or more um, boring, I suppose. People call them the nerdy group. The nerdy group, mm-hmm. yeah. That's a word I heard Nerds. used. Yeah. And, then, and then there's all these guys listening to Nirvana and Pantera with long hair who, who were becoming Christians who'd never been to church before right. and coming along to youth group. And, and these, the, the Christian kids who, who were seeing that, it, it excited them to see that for the first time they'd seen people becoming Christians and that was very exciting. Um, our evening service grew dramatically on Sunday night. We we grew so big that we couldn't all fit in the room really? and there were people spilling out into the foyer and, and in the end there were even people sitting on chairs outside of the windows of the church <laughs> listening to the service down the sides of the building as well. So everyone was all crammed in and uh, one of the young people, Brad Ware, decided that it might be a fun thing for instead of the kids to sit up the back of church and pass notes to each other during the service that everyone should go up the front and sit up the front. So when people came into the church, there was this real excited, enthusiastic group of teenagers and young adults sitting up the front of probably a third of the church was full of all these young people and that increased and increased to, to become almost the majority of the church. And so that was... Um, a really fun time. You were excited about that time, like you're oh, like, oh, look, look at the, like, and I suppose look at the difference that God's making, but also like I'm so glad you've found a way to be able to, to meet young Christians at this point in time. Yeah, yeah, and and the um the thing that was exciting is in some ways there was nothing exciting about us. It was not like we were super cool or super good looking or really good at anything. Yep. We we're just normal people, and we were really excited that um. God was being very kind and gracious to us and, and we were part of something that was bigger than ourselves. And being part of our local church was something we loved and were excited about. And back in the day, um, a lot of my friends weren't that excited about being Christian and, and not many of them would have been excited about being Anglican Christians. But all of a sudden, young people were just excited to be Christians and following Jesus and wearing their Jesus beads to school. And I remember one of the kids came to me one night and said, oh, I've got this problem because the teachers at school said that me wearing my Jesus bead on my wrist was out of uniform. Okay. So apparently the kid had decided he was going to put the Jesus beads on his shoelace and then fold the tongue of his shoe over the top of it. Um while he was in class so he could still wear his Jesus beads. And this was a kid who had only been a Christian for about a month and a half. Yeah, right. So things like that were, were, were fun to see young people trying to work out how they express this new identity they had in Christ and were really excited about being clothed with Christ, not clothed with a subcultural identity. Uh, they're actually Christians first and anything else was coming second. I saw young people who were excited about having a read and a pray before they went in for a surf. Mm. So there'd be a small group of kids just about to jump into the surf and they'd all be in a circle praying before they jumped in or people going out to the movies and taking a Bible with them and having coffee afterwards and having a read. Just really organic things that made that aspirational uh, statement that we had, it's more than a Saturday night, it's a lifestyle. It just seemed to be pouring out of people's lives and that was really fun. And to also see everyone well. seeing that positivity come out of that would be really exciting. Yeah, well, people were having of... changed lives. People were yeah. engaging with deep issues in their lives. There were young people who who had been uh, experimenting with drugs that were trying to get rid of that. There were, there were teenagers that were even just really convicted about the way they spoke and the way they paid other people out and the way they spoke about um, other people. Some young people were really convicted that they were racist or sexist and they wanted to change. And in the commitments, young people were talking about these kind of issues, these everyday 
discipleship issues that they had that they wanted to share with the group and work out what does it look like for us to be Christian. So that kind of continued to grow. And then Saturday night, that friendship group that we started grew to about over 100 people, sometimes even up to nearly 200 people on a Saturday night. And we'd, we'd have um, a concert and have a band come and play. And then I'd read uh, something or give a talk or someone else would give a talk. And the person who gave a talk would stand up in a room full of 250 plus people and because all the commitments would sit down as soon as someone held up a bible to say we're going to have a read then all the people who'd come who were the irregulars people who weren't christians they'd all look around and see all these other young people sitting down so they'd be quite happy to join in with that and sit and listen as we didn't just tack on a talk on the end of a concert but actually it was part of the night for us and a really engaging exciting thing and then on nights like that uh, it was quite uh, normal for some people to become Christians after a, a cool. talk on the gospel during something like that. So yeah, that sort of stuff was really fun. Did you? I know that like this. Is, I don't want to put a term on and saying, "Oh, look, look at the success you're having." But because it was growing so much, did I think you were asked to start looking after some of the younger youth groups as well? How did that come about, and what was the? How did you try and meld that into what you were doing on the Saturday nights? Yeah, well, as we said, we started as volunteers. I was only 21 when we started. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, we didn't really know what we were doing. We were just trying to work it out as we went along, doing a lot of research and talking to people. But um, at one point, our minister, Lindsay Stoddard, asked if I'd be the assistant youth minister. Uh, the youth minister, I think it was, but just for one part of the youth group. But then over time, uh, we had a new minister come, uh, Stuart Finlay, and he asked me if I'd actually be the the youth minister for all of the youth and we thought oh, I wonder how we could get that to work like what would it look like for the junior youth groups if we had this idea of being a Christian family a Christian group of friends that went right across all the youth and we thought well we're going to be their leaders first but what if we had leaders who were willing to lead on a Friday night who were part of that Saturday night peer group that had grown so much and um, this was before we grew to 500 actually it was partly because we did these things that we ended up growing even bigger because we were about probably 150 young adults I suppose and senior teenagers and then um, Tim Baldwin and Fiona Francisconi who were part of the commitments group on Saturday night they said they'd be happy to go and see if they could build a leadership team on Friday night for the middle high school group for year 9 and 10 students and they called that Rev 21 after Revelation 21 and so they started Rev 21 together and they started a Commitments Bible study before Rev 21 and then they had um, a, a night that was really focused on uh, sharing a word from the Bible and then uh, heaps of young people came to that as well. It's, at one stage at Kirawee High School, the whole of Year 9 was going to that group. Right. It was just amazing. So that was really exciting. And it's just based on the same real kind of principles you'd started to develop on the Saturday night. Just yeah. was still, and it was still, in a sense, working the same way. Yeah, yeah. So that, that, that peer group on, on Saturday night was strengthening the Sunday evening service and st now strengthening the middle high youth group because the relational connectedness we had was um, giving us a sense of team across those areas. And after Rev21 was uh, working really well, uh, we also then had Fiona Francisconi and, and, and Steve ended up leading SALT, um, which was the Year 7 and 8 group. And so what we, what we were really excited about too was we'd learnt from uh, Janelle Anglick and from Cameron Hislop that their leaders followed the kids all the way through high school. And we went, oh, that's a mad idea because yeah. that sort of fits in with what we're trying to do. So our leaders would lead young people through from year seven all the way through to year 12. And then often when they'd finished high school, a lot of the year 12 young people actually volunteered to become youth leaders and their 
original youth leaders went back with them as team leaders to starting Year 7 again. And so we had this really beautiful like leadership development program organically emerge amongst our community as people were getting more and more excited about being connected. Yep. Well, I went through that system as a, a, an attendee of a youth group and then I went back through and led, led from that too. So I'm definitely a product of that and it's a fantastic way, in my opinion, to be building that, those Christian relationships among youth people because, as you said before, they're the future of the church. Hmm. But so now you've got this culture coming out quite different to what you've seen in other churches. Yep. And then you're obviously created, that's obviously created by the commitments. What are you starting to see happen? Was there a, a lot of, <laughs> I, I know I've heard a few stories before where it's been, a, it was been a little bit rowdy sometimes. Yeah, it got a bit rowdy. It was pretty fun. <laughs> it was pretty fun. We'd have, we'd have a whole heap of young people who were only new Christians that were coming along to the group. And we realized that we needed some new structures to help us to, to make sure that all these things were working all right. People so, looked after. Yeah, right way. yeah, keep everybody looking, being looked after. <laughs> so we started these things called Leaders Blast during the week. We call them Leaders Blast because when you have a meeting, you just blah, Ron, blah, blah, blah. I think yep. it's from The Simpsons or something. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the Leaders Blast were a place where we could have training that happened organically but also organization but also it was another third place where people could actually share their lives and talk about what it was to be a christian of course we had the commitments meeting on saturday night but that became more and more talking about some of those issues i was talking about before like the shock absorber in yeah it was weekly, a shock absorber, weekly yeah. access that, weekly, that's a good point actually yeah. weekly shock absorber so for example there was um you know people would talk about uh dating as an issue in the commitments at the commitments meeting and so some of the single People would say, oh, I feel a bit uncomfortable when couples are holding hands even at the group. What do we do with that? And so it was a great opportunity to bring the Bible to bear to an issue that was really important to them in their context. And we could do that. Uh, we, it went a bit far, though, because we ended up having an issue book so that if people had any issues, oh, wow. they could write their issues. And, and that just went out of, went out of hand. Need a new book issues. pretty quickly. Oh, there was <laughs> books, man. So we decided uh, we wouldn't use the issue book anymore. But... Um, but it, there were issues that were coming about too because we're intergenerational because we're having obviously we were young adults being leaders first but we're also wanting to be friends to these young people so one of the issues on saturday night was if we're going to have 16 and 17 year olds hanging out with us we need to create appropriate spaces that are really safe and one of the things one of the ingredients with that is to not drink and so we weren't drinking alcohol on saturday night and for some christians back in the 90s they were like oh I, I, but I want to drink alcohol on Saturday night. And we'd say, well, you can in, drink alcohol, free to drink alcohol, but we've made a decision not to do that. Just so not that, here. Yeah, just not here and not at this time. We found that was an issue that we needed to talk through, so that was fun to talk that through. But the whole time we're just growing really quickly, so I think it was... Um, it was important for us to connect with our elders as well. So it was great that we we're going to the Sunday night service because there was a lot of people who weren't part of Sorrel Revival uh, youth ministry and youth community in that. But there were also elders that were approaching us as well as us being keen to hang out with them. There was a lady called Mercia Dello, and even though it was getting really raucous, it was also really exciting to have people like Mercia as friends too because Mercia was really encouraging us to pray. And one of the uh, things she thought of uh, to suggest to us was why don't you have a prayer night in each of the groups once a term and I think looking back that was one of the most exciting things that was happening at that time because when we grew to 500 people on the roll any one weekend there'd be two or three hundred people in attendance at the three different groups but once a term we'd, we'd call a prayer night and instead of eight people turning up pretty much three quarters of the group would be there to pray and there was a really exciting story one night where there was a guy called Matt came along to one of these prayer nights and he was a non-Christian and he'd just come along to check it out. 
and uh, he'd been sitting there in the group time as we'd been praying as a group. And then when we broke up, he came into a group with me and Brad Ware and some other young people. And we just sort of said before we started praying together, oh, does anyone have anything they want to pray about? And this young guy goes, oh, actually, I feel like there's a big wall between me and God and I just don't feel like I can see him. Like you guys seem to have a belief and I like that, but I just have this wall between me and God. And Brad was a very practical guy as he continues to be and he said... "Um, Oh, that's all right, mate. We'll just get out a jackhammer and knock that wall down, eh? <laughs> and then he started praying. He said, oh, God, I just pray for Matt. I pray you get a jackhammer out and you knock that wall down between you and <laughs> you and Matt. Anyway, when we opened our eyes, Matt wasn't there anymore. He'd gone. So I looked at Brad and I thought, oh, maybe praying was a bit too full on for him and he's gone out. Yeah. And uh, maybe he was stressed or something. And But anyway, we just we, we had a good pray for a couple of hours. And then after the time of prayer, we were hanging out as we do. And out of the night comes Matt. He comes walking back into the room. And he comes up to me and I said, oh, are you going all right, mate? And he's like, yeah, actually. Um, he said, actually, I was really, really stoked because when Brad prayed that God would get a jackhammer out and knock down the wall between me and him, he said, I just, I just uh, went out into the night and sat by myself and I just said to God that I wanted to be a Christian. No, well, that's and so, so cool. I just wanted to say that I... I think I've got it right. I've, I've, <laughs> I think I've repented of my sin and I, I think I've turned to Christ and I want to live for him now and I just want to know if you guys can help me to work out what that looks like. Yeah. So that was a really exciting night. But then other things were a bit more trivial like when um, we were hanging out with Soul Revival, we knew that if we were going to be super committed to each other in our local church, we needed to network with other churches as well, not be one group. And so we used to go to things at the time. There was a thing called Black Stump. And we'd go along to Black Stump and I think because we brought a whole heap of new young crew who'd never been to a Christian music festival before, which is what Black Stump was, people were surprised how we expressed our joy yeah. and, and excitement in, in a music context. <laughs> and I think, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pre- pretty pretty sure that we were the first people to mosh at a Black Stump concert. Wow. And so there would have been probably... 50 to 100 of us moshing at the front of the stage and to start off with the people that were running it were a bit nervous because a mosh can i don't know if you know what a mosh is everyone but it's, for those of you that are younger it's just basically young people throwing them jumping together against, against, jumping and stuff yeah. but anyway it can get a bit full on but we didn't we didn't get full on in the mosh we used to see it more as a big group hug and a thing to be excited about and we'd crowd surf the performers and we'd crowd surf and fun stuff like that so yeah there were fun times like that too but the, but it went a lot deeper than just that yeah. and so there seems to be like a real momentum growing behind what you're doing but yeah with obviously with momentum and you talked about last week there's there's a, with every good thing there's also shadows yeah that's right. but also it must have created some conflict and controversy around what was kind of going on whether it was an established church or parents of children that were going or that kind of thing. How did you start to be able to have to deal with that and what were some of the issues that we're talking about? Yeah, we, we, we probably uh, approached all this growth with sober joy. As I said, there was joyfulness in, you know, expressed in our, you know, singing and moshing and going to church on Sunday night. But the sobriety um, came knowing our need of God and our desire to grow in our maturity using the Bible and also wanting to be taught by jesus how to love sacrificially and how to be servants of each other romans 12 um, chapter 12 verse 1 and following talks about uh, the fact that we in view of god's mercy we offer our bodies as living sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to god so that we were seeking to to serve uh, in his kingdom and be committed to that but even though we were i think really 
helped by our decision to be staying close to our elders, to be reading the Bible and to also be really connected to our local church and not disconnect as we got bigger. We saw ourselves as just part of the family rather than becoming something different. All those things were good because we get some things right and we get some things wrong. So we were learning along the way and we sometimes learnt as much through our mistakes as we did through the things we got right. But we had we had some challenges. Um, you know, I mentioned that we had a lot of young crew who were just becoming Christians. So while some of them were seeking to to change their lives and, and to grow, there were others that weren't. So, you know, you could come along to a Soul Revival youth community event and, and um, there'd be young people smoking out the front, there'd be people swearing people listening to music that some Christian families weren't comfortable with, like Pantera and Nirvana and bands like that. So these parents are dropping off their kids with all these things going on. Yeah, so that's going to cause a bit of an interesting conversation. Mm. So, um, yeah, dropping your 15-year-old daughter off to a group and hearing someone talking in a way that you're not used to hearing at a church. And smoking at the same time. Yeah, and the concerts we had, you know, the noise was pretty loud and sometimes the neighbours wanted to close that down. Um, we'd actually uh, been allowed by the church to use a disused church that was uh, too small to function anymore down in Grace Point. So we took that over kind of for a little while as a Soul Revival youth community venue. So the noise was a bit of an issue with the neighbours and how do we relate to neighbours? How do we actually love them? That was something that wasn't always easy. But um, I think also in the early stages when we were really talking about commitment, we didn't always have our language really clear and we're also very excited about it. So I think uh, in the early days, some people, as I think you mentioned, some of the the young people would say things like, oh, I feel like to be a part of this, I need to be committed like this. So even though in my mind, I'm thinking you can opt in and opt out of it. I suppose in the early days, I hadn't taken into account some of the pressure some of the young people might have felt to join the commitments. And But over time, we sort of worked out together in the commitments times with all those issues, with the issue book, how we could solve each of these problems one by one. And if there was something that we didn't have a solution to, we had our senior minister, we had our elders, we had um, other people to talk to inside and outside of the church to give us a bit more of a clarity around what we're doing. So I think that was really helpful. But yeah, we kept making mistakes as well as doing things well as well, I think. Were you discouraged by that kind of stuff happening? Well, yeah, I think so. I, I think the challenge was some of the issues that were coming up were purely because of I would call them a gospel issue, some of the issues, because they were happening because of a good thing. So a gospel issue, I think, is an issue that comes about because the gospel is growing. So having lots and lots of young people was an issue. Not being able to fit them all into the church was an issue. Uh, Having to have weekly leadership meetings and Bible studies and youth groups and Saturday night and Sunday was an issue because people were spending a lot of time. And even though we loved spending a lot of time together and we're creating a third place community through that, uh, it was a burden sometimes because, you know, people had had lives they need to live as well at, uh, you know, uni and, and social stuff with other people. So we, I, I, you know, I really wanted people to have friendships outside of the church and inside of the church. But then if you're spending so much time being a youth leader, that can, that can be a bit hard. So the 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 fact that we were actually inviting our leaders to do two things to be leading young people but also the second thing is to also be helping to express a christian community for those young people to grow up into was i suppose double what normal youth leaders would do so that was because of our intergenerational impulse and we wanted to have people growing in their relationships even though they're different ages Um, also some people didn't understand that we were intergenerational and what it looked like to people who were used to the homogeneous unit principle was that, oh, hang on, aren't people supposed to go to the youth service until they 
get married and then move down to the morning service hall. And so when people were getting married and they were staying in youth leadership and then they're having kids and staying in youth leadership and then that intergenerational community was growing on Saturday but some people in other parts of the church didn't understand that that was still we were we were wanting to still be part of the whole church but we were actually seeking to have intergenerational relationships for the young people to have so that they had um, other teenagers and they had young adults as role models but they also had people who were married and people who were having mm. kids in their life as well just so much more, ways. more wisdom for them yeah to more tap. wisdom but it creates more problems because people don't understand and what what i think i came to realize was when when we as christians try and find new ways of expressing our faith in a changing culture we not only have to find an expression of uh, christian faith that is helping to communicate the gospel through preaching to people who aren't christians but also we have to explain that to the Christian community at the same time. And I think when I was younger, I didn't really understand that. I was more rushing ahead, doing new things. But I think as I got older, I spent more time trying to explain these new things and give a language around it to other people in the church who hadn't experienced that before. So I think that was part of it. Another thing I think too was just that the youth ministry grew so big. It was so fast. It too. was so fast yeah. and so big. And and then, for example, I, I hadn't trained formally theologically when it started to grow. And then when I did get to Sydney Missionary and Bible College, I didn't even have time to finish it because it was the youth group was so big. So, yeah, there were it wasn't all easy as well, which we can keep re-looking at, I suppose, at different podcasts in the future about different things we learnt through those times. But I think generally the exciting thing is we didn't give up on having a soft heart, didn't give up on being humble, trying to learn and we resisted the urge to become arrogantly uh, convinced that we had a better way than anyone else we wanted to stay as a group of people who were willing to take leadership and willing to um, learn new things and i think that's exactly what jesus did too right like at the time when he was on the earth he was walking around the streets and it's messy and i'm sure there's people the equivalent of swearing or um, smoking or playing loud music but at the time like that's what Jesus was doing so I suppose yeah, you guys yeah. were trying your best to to replicate that in a, to yeah. a certain degree in a, in a way that met the cultural context of the time yeah and and you know that those those things that I mentioned might sound trivial to some varies today but back in the day they were big issues and they were in people's face like they were things that people were observing about the community and and so some people assumed that it wasn't a very godly ministry if there were people who were smoking or swearing but you know there are lots of other issues that young people were grappling with like uh sexuality and uh, drugs drug alcohol. use alcohol even just um there was there was a lot of sexism back in the day where young men uh were were not always that good at respecting other young women as their sisters so i, th- I think there was a lot of working out what does it look like to be a christian but what was great was i i feel like we were dealing with issues that were real for people and things that they needed to think through what difference does jesus make what does jesus change in my life what am i actually going to be prepared to give to jesus and what do i hold back and and i think that was encouraging to me as a christian because it kept me humble and kept me realizing that I didn't have all the answers and that I needed to do this in team with people older than me and people who were my age too. Um, I had really good uh, friendships with people inside and outside of the church and Anglican Youth Works was really helpful to me in the day, networking me up with other youth ministers who were thinking through the same thing. But yeah, one of the things I was excited about is we still maintain, despite the, the difficulties sometimes, 
we maintain this excitement to look for new ways of doing things. And I think the shock absorber worked for me personally because as a young person, I wanted to get wisdom and strength from older Christians who could help me to think through things that they might have thought through when they were my age. And just because the culture had changed didn't mean that being a young Christian was that much different from being a young Christian in any generation. And the timelessness of God's word is so encouraging. And the fact that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow is so encouraging. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I think we... What I look back on that era of uh, with the hardships and the, the fun stuff is just uh, optimism. And I think the optimism... Chance to learn. Yeah, yeah, chance to learn, optimism and flexibility. And I think they're some of the principles that are good to try and carry over to today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, we might wrap it up there, but Stu, just want to, again, say how much of an encouragement you are to me and to everyone else at Solar Vault Church. So thank you. Yeah, for same, for same, same back to you, Joel. Oh, thank you. Thanks for sticking through it and in, even in discouraging times at some point. But... Guys, we really want to hear your questions. So we really want to answer them on the podcast at the end of the show. So you can either contact Stu on his email, which is stu at soulrevivalchurch.com, or he's also on uh, Twitter and Instagram, and he's Stu Crawshaw on that. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram with the handle of at Joel McMaster. But please send in your questions. We really want to hear them. But we'll leave it for today, and thank you very much, Stu. Catch you next time. Thanks, Joel. See It's working. It's good. Okay. Do I sound okay? You sound beautiful, as usual. (laughs) (laughs) Shivers.